Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pachet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Tuesday, July 11th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for almost 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number 
I will see that and turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code so we can have a conversation. Uh, the alternative to that would be if you're not listening to, to this archive, if you're listening to the archives and not listening live and you would like to ask a question or give a testimonial, you may email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org and or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org that's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g and um, if you do that when we get the uh, opportunity we'll address that comment or question on the air and then send you a, a message as time allows about what day and time we address that comment or question and you can listen back to the archives for your feedback so again the call in number is 563-999-3581 if you call that number and press 1 we can have a conversation um, I have been I've been talking to people lately about a variety of issues. One of them that's come up several times is boundaries. And again, the word boundaries is just a word. And I had um I had talked on this show before about the the documentary Stutz, I think it's on Netflix. S T U T Z and um, there's a young, relatively young actor who has been in therapy, and his therapist's last name is Stutz, and he is um, probably in his 70s, and he's got Parkinson's. And a patient of mine said, Dr. Hayes, you've got to, to watch this documentary because you are my stuts and I want you to watch this and then have us have a conversation about it so you can tell me if you think I'm interpreting this the right way or is this person basically saying the same kinds of things that you've been teaching me in therapy for a long long time so that's the origin of um, that conversation and I watched it, and I was appreciative of it, and that patient and I had several conversations about it, and she found it quite useful. And I've mentioned it on the Internet show. If people have Netflix, it's already free. It's included with whatever subscription you pay for with Netflix. So um, somebody else today sent me the big news that that actor who's actually been in therapy and done a documentary with his therapist, that actor is in the news now because he sent some messages to his girlfriend basically um, using the word boundaries and what he, you know, his understanding of boundaries in a, a in a format that many people would believe is um, 
unhealthy manipulation of his um, girlfriend. And so uh, they show the text messages that he sent his girlfriend, and they show her response. And and then there are some talking head professionals who are weighing in about how he's using the word boundaries as a weapon against his girlfriend. And and then people ask me about that. What do you think? Um, I think it is entirely possible, whether it's intentional or accidental, to use the knowledge, and I'll put that word in quotes, to use some knowledge that we acquire in a way that's unhealthy and unproductive. It's entirely possible for that to happen. I have a long history of watching that happen in my career, trying to be vigilant to make sure that I wasn't guilty of that same kind of a misstep, I'll call it. I have paid the price personally and professionally for calling that out when I think it's happening. And um, again, I want us to highlight the fact that I think it can happen even unintentionally. Um, I think people can be very well-intentioned and think they're um, spreading the good news or sharing what they've learned and being helpful when in in point of fact it they're using those words or that knowledge or that theory as a weapon against someone else and that's in my humble opinion never a good thing so um, this led to a, a discussion with a, a patient of mine earlier today in which the patient was saying that they've learned this, that, and the other thing from me, and so they're frequently sharing it with others. And then they, they said something, my patient said something tongue-in-cheek, but essentially, you know, if somebody disagrees with this, I tell them they're wrong and they're stupid. And, and, of course, we had a little chuckle in the session, and then I went to clarify that this is a good thing to do some worksheets on to release the judgment. Um, and it's, it's entirely possible that, that this person finds their definition of boundaries healthy, useful for them. And just because that their definition for boundaries doesn't agree with the one that I use doesn't mean theirs is wrong. And my patient cocked their head and said, wait a minute, I thought you told me this was boundaries. And I backed up and said, I might have misspoken and told you this is what boundaries are. But most of the time when I present this, what I say is, when I talk to people about boundaries, what I say is, my definition for boundaries is as follows. 
that doesn't mean that's the only valid definition for boundaries. That doesn't mean if you disagree with me, you're stupid or wrong. Uh, my patient was a little bit taken aback, but we went through it again. And he said, well, clear it up for me. I mean, I thought you said boundaries is this. And I said, well, I think most of the time when I speak about this, I say that when I use the word boundaries, I'm referring to everything a person says and does, which educates the people around them about what they think are acceptable and not acceptable the things that you think are acceptable and not acceptable, whether those are behaviors or words or belief systems or actions. My definition for boundaries is everything I say and do that educates the people around me about what I think is acceptable and not acceptable. And then I say, now, if if people say, well, that kind of makes sense. Okay, I I see what you mean when you use that word boundaries. I say, okay, good. Now, the next thing I tell people that they don't really like to hear so much is everything I say and do is part of educating the people around me about what I think is acceptable and not acceptable. And so... It isn't that I have this boundary. People frequently talk about, that's a boundary for me. I have this boundary, this and that boundary. And what I say to them is, my boundaries are communicated by everything I say and do, which means if I act differently one moment, I'm setting a different boundary. I am not holding to boundaries how to say that I'm not making a statement once and then that remains my boundary forever it's everything I say and do and the example I frequently give to people is I've got this father who's raising children and One of the most important things in his life, all through his life, was the idea of being honest. Honesty, honesty, honesty. And so this father is constantly preaching honesty to the family and this child. And the child gets to be a preteen, and the father is in the garage one day, and the phone rings, and the child picks it up, and it's, you know, Uncle Larry that his dad doesn't want to talk to. And the child says to dad, Hey, Dad, uh, it's Uncle Larry on the phone, and Dad yells from the garage, tell him I'm not home. And in that one action, that father has demonstrated to his child that the father believes it's okay to lie in certain situations. And that is what I'm referring to when I talk about the word boundaries. And again, these words only have the meanings that we hold for them. There's no hard and fast, this is what this means and this is what that means. So, please 
from whatever perspective you can come at this work, please understand that what we're presenting in, I, I suppose I should speak for myself because as I was about to say that next sentence, I realized it may not be completely true for everybody on the on the show. So I'll say for myself that what I'm presenting are just the things that make sense to me that I've actually tried that make my life better and my understanding of how to blend different philosophies and psychologies and um, spiritual understandings in a way that continues to serve me well. And it is not my intention to tell people this is how it is, especially if they are observing for themselves and they see or feel it to be a different way. My recommendation is, my offering is, the invitation is, please just use these tools if they work for you. And if they don't, look for other tools because chances are pretty good that with all of the hundreds of thousands of people who've been striving to make their lives better over the centuries, somebody has encountered something that might work well for you, that might do two important things. One is resonate well with you and your personality and your beliefs and goals and also produce results that you prefer in your life. And as we talk about, as I like to talk about on this show, every once in a while I bring out the idea, please don't put anybody on a pedestal. Please don't live your life from belief. Live it from direct observation. Work to see how much better your life can be as you learn to question every belief, every authority figure. And when your eyes are open and you're living your life and observing something directly and it works well, keep doing it. If your eyes are open and you're living your life from direct observation and you realize that what's happening isn't serving you so well, feel free to try something else. Understanding that, as I say that, that it's very, very difficult for most of us to try something else because we all have really good reasons for doing what we're already doing, even when we can't consciously be aware of those reasons. They're still there in the unconscious. They're still there in our programming. They're still there in the inherited cross-generational patterns, which are so important for us to identify to, so, so as to be able to dismantle them when they are unproductive. And just because it's there doesn't mean it's so deep-seated or another really good way to think about it is that every time one of these patterns comes to the surface and I become aware of it, the most useful way for me to think about that is not that, oh boy, I've, I've screwed up and or now I'm getting punished or this is what I get for not doing this right the last time. It's far more useful for me to think, oh, 
this is coming up to give me another opportunity to dismantle it. This is coming up so that I can become aware I've been carrying this unproductive energy or this unproductive pattern for a long time, and now I have the option to change it. I can't change something that I'm not consciously aware of. So for me, when I speak about boundaries, I say boundaries are what gets created by everything I say and do, and they help educate the people around me about what I think is acceptable and not acceptable. And just to clarify what little I read from the um, the text messages in that story from, I think it's Jonah Hill is the actor's name, um, and what I saw about so-called therapists and professionals commenting about it, um, it might it might very well be that what he was doing uh, in the name of boundaries was um, trying to manage his own insecurity and anxiety by trying to get his girlfriend to change her behavior. That's never a good recipe for success in life or health in a relationship. So um, 563-999-3581 There is a lot of uh, emotional energy in the air and for people in my caseload and my family. Area code 610, I believe this is Susan. Hi, Dr. Tim. Good talk again. That's the best definition of boundaries ever. I mean, I've never thought that much about it. I picture it as setting up fences and rules and so forth, and that's a little harsh. This is much gentler, and it has some shape to it. I like that. I have some reports. When you said, I cho- you emphasized in the worksheet, I choose truth. And I said, I don't want to choose truth. I'm not ready to choose truth. And you said, it doesn't matter. And so that gave us a little margin of breathing room on me. It took me two days to uh, two days of writing inappropriate, uh, stirring the pot types of letters to Sally, my friend. Every one of them I read to Tim Bingham, and he said, "Nope, that one's not ready. That's not good. You haven't done the work yet." He seems to know very well. And so finally I realized how true it is that we create what we get. And I've I've understood that in a remote sort of way and it's been obvious in certain situations, but I realized that my relationship with Sally to my mind was lopsided she was accommodating we seemed to have good times I was the initiator of contact most of the time 
but she was willing to do stuff. We had fun together. We had great discussions, and all of that still stands. But the letter I wrote to her, I I read it to Tim, and he said, okay, that's a good letter. You can send it. And I'd like to read it to you. It's short. Is that okay? Sure. Dear Callie, I have read further in your book and realized that I have put you in a tough spot. This has resulted in a lot of thinking on my part. My conclusion, my understanding is that I was a hard friend for you to have in some ways. I was too needy, wanting an emotional connection that was not possible for you. You kindly accommodated me as best you could. But it was probably quite... I see how I created this situation now. And realizing this has been enlightening. You do not have to answer my previous letter, nor explain yourself in any way. And of course, I do not expect you to change anything in the book. Amen. Love, Sue. And she wrote back surprisingly fast. Starting out, dearest Sue, I'm very sorry my book has troubled you, but I don't know why or what gave you the idea that you've been a hard friend for me. Then she goes on to explain her aims in the book, which were not to have it be autobiography, not to be an an autobiography, but to give a very detailed account of what it's like for a writer and professor who depends on her eyes for everything she does to be going blind. And I'm only a third of the way through the book now I was able to get on why I wasn't among the friends she mentioned who are all writers like her. And she ha- we haven't talked about that or anything, but she did send me a paragraph that she had taken out of her book, which had to do with something we did together and what I meant to her overall, how I read her poems and, and had complicated discussions and uh, was interested in telling me things like, she doesn't want to go to heaven if you can't eat there, stuff like that, which was so typical of the discussions we used to have. And she said, look, this wasn't part of the purpose of my book was to tell about friendships. It was to blow by blow go through the sequence of what things have been like since I was diagnosed with not only macular degeneration, but another rare disease that hit both eyes at the same time, causing me to go to great lengths to get special glasses and wear visors and ask for special lighting and use magnifying glasses. And she said, I thought it might be interesting to write about. And so I, in other words, we just got right back to talking and she kept saying, you've been a wonderful friend to me and what are you talking about? And I don't, I wasn't aware of any of that. So I thought to myself, well, that's nice, and if I just took that and ran with it, I wouldn't have learned my lesson, but I have learned my lesson because I do what I did with her. I still do it with people. It's milder, it's more diffuse, but I catch myself in wanting mom to love me 
That's what it is. I want mom to love me. And I pick out people who are edgy and irritable and bright and um, critical sometimes, hard to please. And they can be cold. I pick them. I pick them unconsciously, and it just blows my mind that this is another example, and I ran right up against it. But the outcome has been so liberating. And I didn't even really finish doing the work before the relief was coming and my energy came back. So that's a sort of a report and a testimonial. Well, congratulations. Um, you know, I think that the, the most useful thing I could say here is this is what it looks like to grow up, to yeah. get healthier, right? To right. understand what are these blind patterns that we follow judging that, of course, this means the other person is bad or wrong or off the mark or... And we all do it. We've all done it. We all have these blind spots, not just in our eyes, but in our psychological makeup. And um, we can't know what they are as long as we're still blind to them. There's Michael Rice says, you know, the purpose of pain is to make our ears grow. It's yeah. not to punish us. It's to help us see mm-hmm. or feel where the error is, where the problem is within us. Yeah. Unlike the, the religious prescriptions that would say, you know, you're being punished by your creator or your, this is your karma, it's just... Uh, how will you know you're off the mark unless something wakes you up to the fact that, or how will you know you've got a blind spot unless something is there to help you see more clearly? Mm. And so when you say if you're in pain, you're in error, I just understand that better now. Yeah, it is truly a, um, Dr. Rice now has modified that on his worksheet. So it doesn't say when you're in pain, you're in error. It says when you're in pain, your thinking is in error. That's good. And it used to be just a very straight statement. When I'm in pain, I'm in error. Mm -hmm. And I still find that very useful. Mm-hmm. Although I, you know, concede to Dr. Rice's changing that on his most recent worksheet to when I'm in pain, my thinking is in error. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just settle back into the idea that, you know, there is so little, so little that we actually know. Yeah. We are we are so blind to our own stuff. We are so blinded by the practice of judgment and mm-hmm. labeling. That's so true. 
and the more we, we wake up to that, the, uh, it's not the more we have answers, it's the more we understand how little any of our answers mean. Yeah. Well, and that, working and that's on okay. that worksheet, working on that worksheet with you, though, I felt like a kid trying to learn to bowl, and you had you're like a bumper. You you were the bumper guy. You were taking, you were deflecting the bowling ball from the edges, from the ruts or whatever you call those things on the sides. Because yeah. even though I've done a, a gazillion worksheets. I wasn't equipped to do a proper worksheet. Maybe I could have eventually, and I called you up right away because you were right there on the radio show. Oh, God, I resist. So I just said, help, you you push me through it. And, you know, having, and I can do that for somebody else. It isn't as if you're the only one that could do that, but I had no perspective. And when you're a kid doing bowling, you don't have, that skill, so I do think not only is the worksheet useful, but being walked through it by someone else is also really helpful. I agreed. That's why we still do, after almost 19 years, we still do the support groups. Yeah. Sometimes you do a worksheet yourself on the radio show, though. And I wonder, I have wondered, is it the fact that you are not only yourself on the radio show, but you are putting your work out, your your struggle and your knowledge out to us who listen? And maybe that does something to your own brain so that you can be your own teacher right there on the radio show. Because you usually come up with some amazing insights right on the radio show about, or a memory will pop up. And maybe, perhaps you can do that on your own. I'm sure you can, but it might be really, um, the fact that you can get through your own worksheet and provide your own bumpers has been really good too you haven't done it lately maybe you don't want to do it anymore but i hope you do if you get the chance well i think you know the 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 biggest answer to what you're you're alluding to here is that i have been doing this and stepping other people through them and doing my own worksheets for over 20 years yeah right so it's this um, it's this process that I hold myself to and I, I work to hold others to it, in, in that structure. Like uh, on a regular basis, you'll hear me say to people, let's get back to this work, this particular worksheet. Yes, you know, here's a spin-off topic about the weather um, on my wedding day or, you know, when I was five years old, this happened. Okay, but if it's not directly related to the worksheet, Let's make a note about that in the margin or on another sheet of paper and then just come back to the structure of the mm-hmm. worksheet. Yeah. And that's what I try to do. And there are times when I do that, and there are audio records of this where I've been on both in the support group and on the show, and I'm doing a worksheet, and I completely skip step three or the first part of step five. Oh, 
or mm-hmm. or step four, not not step three, because there has to be a goal. But and I'll I'll space out completely because I'm so in in the issue or my emotions are mm-hmm. up, and sometimes I mm-hmm. catch it and sometimes I don't, and yet overall it's that repetition and sticking to the worksheet and the forgiveness pattern that has gotten me such good results. And as long as it keeps mm-hmm. getting good results, I'll continue to do it. And what strikes me about the patter, for instance, when you start off, I give up my need to be right. I think that's one of the first things you say. Well, that cancel. I cancel my need to be right. Cancel. I cancel my yeah. need right because that's that's Michael's Michael's word for this is to cancel the goal. And then yeah. I give that that word canceling, I give it certain meaning in my psyche, which with repetition over time gets connected to certain positive results, and then it means more for me. That's exactly what happens, and it doesn't even happen right then. I mean, I can say I cancel my need to be right, and my mind says, the hell I do. But, you know, and then I I just, it's as, as if the little barriers or fences or protections are put up and pounded in the tent stakes are up and they're just plain pieces of wood they don't mean much but they go in there and eventually something starts the disintegration process of that tough angry will or whatever it is but those patter steps you need them all or you need a lot of them just hearing the words, they seem to have no effect at first to me sometimes. Anyway, give up my need to change anything or have anybody else changed? The hell, I want this person to change. I'm fighting all the way down the rows. And yet somehow, and you say sometimes you end up spinning, that's true. But usually there is somewhere something flipped. Anyway, it's, it, um, it blows my mind because I was nowhere near being able to write that letter to Sally. <laughs> it would have taken me weeks. I might have, and in the meantime, written some guilt-tripping piece of junk to her that she would have had to deal with. So it sure shortens a war. <laughs> Still there, Dr. Tim? All of a sudden, I'm not hearing anything. Yes, I'm here. I'm going to hear that. I had to clear okay. my throat and I'm muted. So okay. it comes to me to say congratulations to you for picking up the tool and seeing what it can do for you because that's that's the value. That's where you get the value. It's the only way we get the value. Talking about how wonderful the tool is, singing its praises, putting someone else up on a pedestal doesn't do it. What you got here was the benefit of being willing to say, I don't like how I'm feeling. Let me use some tools to clear up how I'm feeling before I respond to somebody, before I go off charging out into the world 
thinking I need to correct a wrong because my perception is distorted. How do I know my perception mm-hmm. is distorted? I'm not happy. Right. I'm not in the bliss state. I'm in some kind of an upset. That's mm. how I know. That's the key in this work that lets me know my perception is distorted. I'm in pain. Mm-hmm. I'm dissatisfied. I'm stuck one way or another. Yeah. So again, congratulations. Thank you. And you know what's also a... What? Go ahead. What's also it's a what? Also, also amazing to me, people say, I want to be happy, or I want to be enlightened, or I want to feel bliss. You just don't go there directly. You can come a lot closer, I should speak for myself, and I knock on wood because I have a lot of superstition and other things, but I have been enjoying my life and so happy with the same things that I was struggling over two days ago. It's just the whole of one's perspective can shift by doing a wake-up sheet. There's a, there's a valve that lets off a heck of a lot more steam than just the immediate issue. Yeah, yeah, the the Course in Miracles has a line something like, my slightest irritation is connected to my deepest rage. God, boy, is that a... Okay, I remember that, yeah. And so what it means is, when when I do a worksheet, I feel more benefit than I can even predict and sometimes more benefit than I realize at the end of the worksheet. Sometimes I live along for a few days after the worksheet or a few weeks after a worksheet and things start to improve in my life. I may not even connect them consciously, logically with a benefit from the worksheet and yet they're, they're still connected. Right. Well, you know, another spin-off from this worksheet is you know how I've been fussing about Michael who lives with us and discovered all this displaced rage that belonged on my sister, but of course it didn't belong on my sister either. Suddenly it occurred to me, Tim Bingham was raised in a very different family culture than I was. My family were school teachers. They weren't, they were intellectually upper middle class, I guess you'd say, but financially not. They struggled to make ends meet and they had big families. And during the depression, they felt it deeply. And my parents invited my father's sister and her two daughters to come and live with us in a tiny house. And there were five kids. No wonder my mother was going nuts, but I won't go there right now. Tim was brought up wealthy enough that they hardly felt the depression and they had hired help they had an immigrant russian woman who was their governess and they had a southern black woman cook who shopped and did all the meals and they both lived in the house and ate 
their meals in the kitchen while the family ate these lovely meals out in the other room, and they had other help that came on a regular basis to take care of the grounds, and the grandparents lived in Westchester, New York, on a big estate with a swimming pool and all kinds of caretakers. And I said to Tim, no wonder you're perfectly fine with this guy living in our house. And I'd like to learn how it feels for you. And so he began to say, you know, I am used to it. It's like nothing to me. I mean, it's great. He's doing my chores. (laughs) How can I complain? And so I had a shift there, too. I just thought, I'm going to borrow Tim's childhood. I'm going to pretend that we have a man uh, who is now officially living with us and working for us in exchange for free rent. And he doesn't cook, but I don't need anybody to cook. So I went outside, and Michael was playing with an animal out there. And I said, Michael, let's have a talk. I said, how would you feel if we just switched our thinking about what you're doing here? I want you to keep up your applications to your um, subsidized housing places. He's got three in. And I want you to keep finding work for yourself because that's for you. That's just going to help you feel good. Let's keep working on selling your junk heap of a car and finding you a a van that you could travel in and maybe sleep in occasionally. But how about we make it official that you are really with us and you're living with us and you're going to do the chores you've already done and I might even throw a couple of others at you. And he said, that would be great. That would be fine. And all of a sudden this whole complicated feeling about him has completely gone away. Knock on wood, of course, again. But that seems like a byproduct of having done that worksheet. Well, and even without the worksheet, choosing a different interpretation. This is a powerful Mm -hmm. example of how I don't get triggered by an outside event But if I choose an interpretation for that outside event that's in resonance with some traumatic energy in me or negative emotion within me, I I resonate that negative emotion within me or that traumatic energy within me. Yeah. So here it is, another wonderful example that you're living into that's demonstrating to you the truth of these observations. Yeah. So... There's um, a hand that has gone up, and and okay. in accordance with our agreement, I'm turning on the microphone <laughs> for area code 520. You're in the air. Hi, this is Audrey. Audrey, welcome. I Did you have something um, comment to make based on Susan's sharing? Well... I have a, a question it might articulate to that, perhaps. Um, I was doing some reading, and in the reading it said that um, from ages um, on the last third of a, a trimester of a pregnancy to age seven or eight, that uh, we're in uh, 
theta. Theta is hypnosis. We learn by observation. And that, this is what I'm learning, and it's an incorrect. Please tweak it so I could correct my thinking. So we learn by observation, and it gets programmed into my um, subconscious. Then after theta, then I become, and, and, and that is my program, the subconscious is my program. Then when I'm doing uh, my work, when I'm experiencing life, oftentimes I'm responding from my subconscious. Okay, how um, the worksheet is one way to reprogram into the conscious awareness. And uh, I've been studying mm, Bruce Lipton's work and um, about a site K, and I'm not totally clear about that. And the way I understand the worksheet, it's one way to shift into conscious awareness. And when you were talking with Susan, I overheard your word using the word tools, plural. What other ways can I reprogram my subconscious? And that's my question. Well, Psyche is um, very much like the uh, neuroemotional technique. <clears throat> they, they developed about the same time. The neuroemotional technique is a technique that I'm trained in. And it uses kinesiology, muscle testing, so that you need a practitioner to do it with you or for you. And it's very similar to the emotion code work that was developed by Dr. Bradley Nelson where you don't need a practitioner for much of it. You can develop your own muscle testing and work on yourself. Another technique is the mind shifter tool where you target your journaling to a phrase that might be energetically connected to some negative emotional content in your subconscious and you let yourself free associate to that or write on it for an hour or more at a time. Um, so there are a variety of tools like that. The, the, what I tell people on a regular basis is that my experience of Dr. Michael Rice's reality management worksheet is that it's one of the best tools for uncovering your unconscious emotional baggage that doesn't need somebody else to work on you that you can be doing on your own and it does very much the same thing as the neuroemotional technique or the psyche or the bioenergetic synchronization technique because it bypasses what your conscious logical mind would be telling you so that's the short answer 
Okay, I think um, I I hope to be in the support group tonight, um, and I'd like to explore how I respond and how I respond from shame base. How did it take place? I'm not aware of responding from shame base. All I know is that I'm not feeling good. And at that time, if I'm responding from shame base, then I'm not feel I'm not love in action. And my body is telling me I'm not experiencing peace. So I, I, I plan to be in the um, support group and, and, and thank you because this is a journey of explore, exploration and and actually it's fun. Uh, thank you very much. And I am learning, but I am a work in progress. Okay. Thank you. Well, um, you're you're welcome and deserving. And I want to, you know, um, assume that you're using Susan Bingham and this example that she role modeled for us of some of the deep benefits that can come if you just keep applying whatever tools resonate well for you. So I'll mute you so you can listen in, and I will turn on the microphone for area code 541. You're in the air. Well, I keep trying. <laughs> this is fantastic. It's sequeing, uh, forget it. It's going right to a situation I'm dealing with right at this moment with a friend of mine. In fact, two friends of mine, a couple. And I am so grateful for this. Uh, Dr. Tim, this needs to be archived. <laughs> this is a wonderful show. Uh, probably, uh, maybe it's just my brain cells are popping, but I also will be on the support group tonight. Susan, I have been following your path, um, your trajectory, and I just appreciate your trajectory so much and everyone else's because it's so similar to mine. There really are only a few common issues that all of us share together as a human race. And... um, yeah, keep going. Uh, I'm going to listen. I'm not going to say any more. Love you all. Bless you all. All right. And that's it. All right. Blessings. Thank you for the comment. So, Susan, we've got about four minutes left. Um, how do you feel about this getting turned into a highlight show? It's up to you. Uh, I mean, sure, fine, if it's useful. I feel as if it's just, I'm so excited I couldn't tell if it's useful. I'm just enjoying life. <laughs> well, yeah, that's so it. Sure. There's the testimonial, right? That's There's the value, right? This isn't a how-to-do-a-worksheet. You already gave us that gift last week, and that's a highlight show in itself, right, to work to be stepped through the worksheet. But now here's the testimonial of, you know, layers upon layers that you're becoming aware of and then 
now that you're aware of them, you've got the potential to begin to change layers mm. of things that have not been so productive in your life. Right. That's what it feels like. So, I don't know what else to say about it, but... I don't think you need to say anything else. To, to, uh, you know, uh, understand that I'm echoing uh, Solinda's comment that this should be a a highlight show. And again, not from the how-to perspective, but from the look look at the results, right? That's the, Mm -hmm. the quote that Michael likes to offer from Yeshua when he said, so how can we tell? And Yeshua said, they tell by their fruits. Mm. How are people doing their forgiveness process successfully or accurately? Or How do you tell? Well, you tell by the results people are getting. And this is just, you know, today was an example of you calling and saying, I got phenomenal results. From the application yeah. of these tools, and they and they just keep paying. That's it. I've I've been as lots of us are. We say we want to be happy. You just don't get directly to happy without doing these things that appear to be tangential, and they'll get you there. You sort of have to forget about being happy and just take care of the pain and the discomfort. The irritation, the habits, I mean, there are tons of them. We all have them, I know. So. Well, again, thank you for the powerful testimonial and uh, for congratulations for doing your own work. And I'll mute you so you can listen into the second hour, and I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. And welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Manchester's Radio. And today is Tuesday. July the 11th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-81 and press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And uh, give Michael a moment to dial in. And I'll just remind everybody that this coming up... um, Thursday is the second Thursday of the month, and so there will be the uh, Global Book Club. And then this coming up Saturday is the third Saturday of the month, and so we will be doing Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing. So Thursday is the book club, and Saturday is Still Point Breathing. So join us. To, um, the book club is free, and the link is on the website. And let us know if you want to join the membership of the Mind Shifters Still Point Breathing. And we'll get you registered, and uh, I'll send you the information for Saturday. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Honored that you're here. 
that we get to uh, continue this uh, this conversation about uh, about bringing healing to our planet, about uh, returning people to individual sanity. You know, rarely <clears throat> where the crowd gathers do you find truth or sanity. Usually it's more on an individual basis. That's why we're not interested in, you know, we don't have a church, we don't have a, an organization to join. We just have tools. And here's how the tools work. And if you want to free your mind and get back to ownership of your own life, then here's how to do it. If you're living in drama and trauma, pain, terror, what have you, there's a way to remove those energetic patterns from your structure. Unfortunately, in you know the conversation we had yesterday, I talked a little bit about the uh, way that one particular religious cult trains its children, and through literally through, I mean, at six months of age, physical abuse. And that instills in the mind, in the whole energy system, energies that tend to keep people in a space called sympathetic dominance. Sympathetic dominance is called fear, fright, flight, freeze, or fawning. And when people live in that state, they tend to lose the ability to analyze properly. And the reason for that literally is physiological because in the sympathetic dominant state where one's ready to run or fight on a minute's notice, literally the blood flow that would go to the higher centers of the brain are channeled to the large muscles and to the lungs to get somebody ready to fight and survive. So the survival overtakes intelligence. And that's where groupthink, that's where, you know, sadly, a whole lot of, you know, we, we look today at, what we'll call churchianity. I won't call it Christianity because most of it is not. You know, how do you call it Christian when you've got a man who says that you need to honor the people in your life and in particular says, woe unto you who would harm one of these children better that a millstone would be cast around your neck and you'd be thrown into the sea. And these folks are taking a baby at six months of age, laying them on a blanket, calling it blanket time, putting some sort of shiny object, something they're attracted to just out of reach. And when the child at six months spies the object and reach for it, they physically abuse it. They say they hit the child repeatedly till the child stops reaching. It's called brainwashing. When you look at the factor of some 32,000 sects of Christianity, <clears throat> all supposing and supposedly following a man who taught that human life is the presence of love and that the number one order of business is to function out of love. And so the tools are here. No belief systems join, just here are the tools. So here's how to step away from that kind of physically reinforced brainwashing. And how do one do it? So, delighted to be here to share the tools. And before we move any further, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? 
Nope, it's all quiet. Okay, is Magda with us? Yes. I had heard from Magda yesterday, and she was uh, starting to watch the uh, the happy shiny or the shiny happy people uh, docu series on uh, Amazon. So I was asking if uh, if she'd gotten to watch it, much of it, and if she'd be interested in sharing on the show. But if her hands are up, then Arms that's probably not in harmony right now. So why don't we go ahead and okay. do some reading? You're heading All up to what, right. chapter 12 now in the book? No, we're in Michael chapter Singer's 14. Book? 14, oh, I'm running behind. Okay. Yeah, we, uh, well, actually we started, re- yeah, we started reading chapter four- 14. Actually, that's not over. That's where we are starting, chapter 14. Letting go okay, of cool. false validity. So the inside of one's psyche is very complex, sophisticated place. It is full of conflicting forces that are constantly changing due to both internal and external stimuli. This results in wide variations of needs, fears, and desires over relatively short periods of time. Because of this, very few people have the clarity to understand what's going on in there. There's just too much happening at once to follow the cause and effect relationships between all of our different thoughts, emotions, and energy levels. As a result, we find ourselves struggling just to hold it all together. But everything keeps on changing. Moods, desires, likes, dislikes, enthusiasm, lethargy. It's a full-time task just to maintain the discipline necessary to create even the semblance of control and order in there. When you're lost and struggling with all of these psychological and energetic changes, you're suffering. While it may not seem to you that you're suffering, compared to what it can be, you are suffering. In truth, the very responsibility of having to hold it all together is itself a form of suffering. You notice this most when things start to fall apart outside. Your psyche goes into turmoil and you have to struggle to hold your inner world together. But what exactly are you trying to hold on to? The only things in there are your thoughts, emotions, and movements of energy, none of which are solid. They're like clouds, simply coming and going through vast inner space. But you keep holding on to them as though consistency can substitute for stability. The Buddhists have a term for this, clinging, In the end, clinging is what the psyche is all about. In order to understand clinging, we must first understand who clings. As you go deeper into yourself, you will naturally come to realize that there is an aspect of your being that is always there and never changes. This is your sense of awareness, your consciousness. It is this awareness that is aware of your thoughts, experiences the the ebb and flow of your emotions, and receives your physical senses. This is the root of self, capital S. You are not your thoughts. You are aware of your thoughts. You are not your emotions. You feel your emotions. You are not your body. You look at it in the mirror and experience this world through its eyes and ears. You are the conscious being who is aware that you are aware of all these inner and outer things. 
Did you have something you and, wanted to say? Yeah, I was just going to throw in the thought, and at the moment when you become aware of that, that's when you become a conscious creator. As long as our identity is tied up in what's happening in the mind, carbon-based memory, replaying whatever data is in there, then there's simply the recreation of old energetic dynamics in one's life. But when one wakes up and then enters the practice of sourcing, consciously sourcing thought from that state of being, that's when human life really starts. This morning, Arya, she's almost five now, was playing with some toys and uh, just really just glowing in her imagination, which she still holds on to and we support her. And we had a conversation with her about how important her imagination is and that there'll be people who will try to take it away from you. But remember to always keep your imagination because it's your ability to bring energy in and to create something new and different with it. And she seemed to really be with that and really get that, hmm, we're creators. But if we're simply replaying information from the past, we're not creators, we're replicators. So we can either live in the replicate mind, which simply reproduces whatever's in there, or we can become conscious co-creators of our lives and initiate through imagination whole new realms of information that have never been seen before. You know, uh, down in Florida, there's the laboratory of um, Thomas Edison. It's located on the west coast of Florida. If you ever get a chance to go there, it's now, I think, part of the Florida State or the Florida State's part of the Edison Estate. Pretty awesome spot. He was very much into... Uh, plants. He had plants from all over the world. He's really got some, it's an amazing place to visit, worth carving out a whole day for. But he, in his laboratory, they still have an old wash tub and his, you know, small, you know, like single bed. And he is said to have explained to people the reason he had that there was when he as an inventor ran out of ideas, he would lay down, close his eyes, and go to sleep. He would hold a rock in his hand, and his, the rock would be with the, uh, on the end of his arm, his hands hanging over the edge of the bed, so that when he went to sleep, the rock would fall into the, the wash pan, and the noise would wake him up. And he said, that's where I got my ideas, that I would snatch that from the air. And that would be, you know, I would see that as a technique for using the imagination. And sadly, there's research that shows that when a child goes to school, they're very imaginative up to that point, but then they get conned into concrete thinking. They, get, they lose that faculty, and it's such an important one. And it goes hand in hand with the intuitive faculty, which is the ability to tap in directly to the actual energies in the energy system rather than believing that whatever is resonated and that's by what's happening in the energy system, believing the result of that which is resonated in us, believing in the realities generated by the mind as being the truth. So the intuitive and the imagination go hand in hand and are important faculties for humans to have and to maintain in order to be original creators. We're 
designed not to replicate the generational patterns of the past, but to be an original creator, having an original experience, one that's never been had by anybody before. If you lose those faculties, they're just not available to you. And to maintain those faculties, one of my favorite little tongue-in-cheek lines is, you got to be out of your mind. So joining you in being out of your mind. That was it for my thoughts. Okay. I was looking for my unmute. Didn't realize I was unmuted. You probably heard all the clicking, clacking in the background. My apologies. Okay. So, if you explore consciousness, which is your pure sense of awareness, you will see that it really does not exist in any particular point in space. Rather, it is a field of awareness that focuses down to a point by concentrating on a particular set of objects. You can be aware of feeling just one finger, or you can be aware of feeling your entire body at once. You can be totally lost in a single thought, or you can be simultaneously aware of your thoughts, your emotions, your body, and your surroundings. Consciousness is a dynamic field of awareness that has the ability to either narrowly focus or broadly expand. When consciousness concentrates narrowly enough, it loses its broader sense of self. It no longer experiences itself as a field of pure consciousness. It begins to relate itself more to the object or objects that it's focused upon. As we have seen, this is what happens when you get so absorbed in a movie that you completely lose the broader sense of sitting in a cold, dark theater. In this case, you have shifted from concentrating on your body and its surroundings to concentrating on the world of the movie. You literally get lost in the experience. This can be generalized to your entire experience of life. Your sense of self is determined by where you are focusing your consciousness. But what determines where you focus your consciousness? At the most basic level, it is simply determined by anything that catches your awareness because it stands out from the rest. To understand this, imagine that your consciousness is simply observing vast inner space. Now imagine that passing through this space is the gentle flow of random thought objects. A cat, a horse, a word, a color, or an abstract thought. They are sporadically floating right through your awareness. Now let one object stand out above the rest. It catches your attention and draws the focus of your awareness. You immediately realize that the more focused you become on the object, the slower it moves. Until eventually, if you focus on it enough, it stops. The force of consciousness ends up holding the object stable simply by concentrating on it. Just as a fish can pass through water, but not through ice, which is simply concentrated water. So mental and emotional energy patterns, when they encounter concentrated consciousness, the very act of differentiating the amount of awareness focused on one particular object over any other creates clinging. And the result of clinging is that 
selective thoughts and emotions stay in one place long enough to become the building blocks of the psyche. Clinging is one of the most primal acts because some objects remain in the consciousness while others pass through. Your sense of awareness relates more to, to them. While um, you use them as fixed points to create a sense of orientation, relationship, and security in the midst of constant interchange. And this need for orientation extends to the outside world. Although you are clinging to inner objects, you use them to orient and relate yourself to the multitude of physical objects that come in through your senses. You then create thoughts that tie all the objects together, and you cling to the entire structure. You actually end up relating so strongly to this inner structure that you build your entire sense of self around it. Because you cling to it, it stays fixed. And because it stays fixed, you relate to it above all else. This is the birth of the psyche. In the midst of the expanse of empty mind, by clinging to passing thought objects, you make an island of apparent solidity. Once you have a thought that stays, you can rest your head on it. Then, as you cling to more and more thoughts, you build an inner structure for consciousness to focus on. The more consciousness narrows its focus onto this mental structure, the greater the tendency to utilize it to define the concept of self. Clinging creates the bricks and mortar with with which we build a conceptual self. In the midst of vast inner space, using nothing but the vapor of thoughts, you created a structure of apparent solidity to rest upon. Who are you that is lost in crying to build a concept of yourself in order to be found? This question represents the essence of spirituality. You will never find yourself in what you have built to define yourself. You're the one who's doing the building. You may assemble the most amazing collection of thoughts and emotions. You may build a truly beautiful, unbelievable, interesting, and dynamic structure. But obviously it's not you. You were the one who did this. You were the one who was lost, scared, and confused your awareness away from your awareness of self. In this panic, in this lost state, you learned to cling and hold on to the thoughts and emotions that were passing before you. You used them to build a personality, a persona, a self-concept that would allow you to define yourself. Awareness rested itself on the objects it was aware of and called it home. Because you have this model of who you are, it's easier to know how to act, how to make decisions, how to relate to the outside world. If you dare to look, you will see that you live your entire life based on the model you built around yourself. You want me to stop there or keep going? Michael, are you there? My mute button wasn't cooperating. <laughs> now, why don't you go ahead and read? I'm enjoying what, to, what he's saying here. You try to hold a consistent set of thoughts and concepts in your mind, such as, I am a woman. Yes, even that is a thought or a concept held in your mind. 
You who are holding on to that are neither male nor female. You are the awareness who hears thought and sees a woman's body in the mirror, but you cling tightly to these concepts. You think, I am a woman. I am of a certain age, and I believe in one philosophy versus another. You literally define yourself based on what you believe. I believe in God, or I don't believe in God. I believe in peace and nonviolence, or I believe in survival of the fittest. I believe in capitalism, or I believe in neo-socialism. You take a set of thoughts in the mind and you hold on to them. You make a highly complex, complex relational structure out of them and then present that package as who you are. But it is not who you are. It is just the thoughts you have pulled around yourself in an attempt to define yourself. You do this because you are lost inside. Basically, you attempt to create a sense of stability and steadiness inside. This generates a false but welcomed sense of security. You also want the people around you to have done the same thing. You want people to be steady enough so that you can predict their behavior. If they aren't, it disturbs you. This is because you have made your predictions of their behavior part of your inner model. This protective shield of beliefs and concepts regarding the outside world acts as insulation between you and the people you interact with. By having preconceived notions about other people's behavior, you feel safer and more in control. Imagine the fear you would feel if you let the entire wall down. Who have you ever allowed directly into your true inner self without the protection of your mental buffer? Nobody, not even yourself. People just put facades out there. They even admit that one facade is more real than the other. You go to work and you get lost in your professional facade. And then you say, I'm going home to be with my family and friends where I can just be myself. So your work facade drops into the background and your relaxed social one comes forward. But what about you? the one who's holding it all together. Nobody gets near that one. That's just too scary. That one's too far back there to deal with. So we're all clinging and building. Some of us are better than this, at this than others. In most societies, you are well rewarded for how good you are at clinging and building. If you get that model down absolutely right and behave consistently every time you have actually created someone, and if the someone you create is what others want and need, you can be very popular and successful. You are that person. It got ingrained in you at a very young age and you never deviated from it. You can get really good at this game of creating someone and if the person you created is not receiving the popularity and success that you expected, you can adjust your thoughts accordingly. It's not that there's anything wrong with this. Obviously, everybody does it. But who are you that is doing this, and why are you doing it? It's important to realize that it's not just up to you what thoughts you cling to and what person you create. Society has a lot to say about this. There are acceptable and unacceptable social behaviors for almost everything. How to sit, how to walk, how to speak, how to dress, and how to feel about things. 
How does their society ingrain these mentors? How does their society ingrain? And and the whole culture supports living in that persona. And the Greek word personality comes from the word that means mask. If you go back 2,000 years, Yeshua says, you got to get rid of the mask. He says that, that you have to die in order to live. He's talking about this false self that's based in usually a power person message. The first power person message that most people get is usually something like you're broken, there's something wrong with you. And once one loses contact with the truth of who they are as love, then they become susceptible to all kinds of crazy thoughts. And once those thoughts are accepted at a root level, then the mind starts to project that that content, you know, I'm inadequate, therefore if I do this, I'm adequate or I'm good enough or whatever the, the original thought was. And a whole false life comes out of that. You know, back in, again, Yeshua 2,000 years ago, he says to somebody who's like, you know, there's a man who says, hey, you're doing great stuff. I want to, I want to come do that, and, uh, but I'll, I'll be back. I'm, I'm going to go. I have to go bury my mother and my father. In other words, I'm going to be gone perhaps for decades, but, but I like this, and I'm coming back to it. And Yeshua says, let the dead bury the dead. Let the blind lead the blind. And those who are functioning out of this false self are living in a total, complete fantasy world, but virtually everybody's doing it, so the fantasy seems like the real thing. The, the marker is, is there hostility or fear in what your mind is generating? Then you know that's from the false self. You know that's something that needs to be removed from your structure energetically. It's something that needs to be forgiven in order to be restored to the truth of who we are as love stepping out of that space of being literally in terms of functioning out of the true self, literally dead. So our, our work here is really, for most people, the starting point is a big wake-up call. I got a call from a gentleman the other day who's been doing this work for a little better than 20 years. And his last round of really digging in and doing some work was probably hmm, probably nine or ten years ago. And he had stepped into doing some worksheets again, and it was just like after ten years, the whole world of forgiveness, the whole world of healing opened up to him on a new level. And he was ready. He's he's jumped in. He's made some commitments to move forward and just come to a whole new level of doing his work. And so it's it's a process where people will tend to step in and out, in and out, in and out. And the deeper you go into the experience of the truth of being the more appealing doing the work of cleaning up the fear and hostility based self becomes. And that's what we're here for. Go for it, sweetie. Okay. Um, 
I usually mark exactly where I am. <laughs> Hold on a second. Um, I'm going back up to the first of the paragraph. I'm not sure where I let out. Yeah, go for it. Right. It's, important. it's important to realize that it's not just up to you what thoughts you cling to and what person you created. Society has a lot to say about this. They are acceptable and unacceptable social behaviors for almost everything. How to sit, how to walk, how to speak, how to dress, and how to feel about things. How does our society ingrain these mental and emotional structures within us? When you do it well, you're rewarded with hugs and showered with positive accolades. And when you don't do it well, you're punished either physically, mentally, or emotionally. Just think about how nice you are to people when they behave in accordance with your expectations. Now think about how you close up and pull back when they don't. This is not to mention getting angry or even violent toward them. What are you doing? You are trying to change someone's behavior by leaving impressions on their mind. You are attempting to alter their collection of beliefs, thoughts, and emotions so that the next time they act is in the manner that you expect. In truth, we are all doing this to each other every day. Why do we let this happen to us? Why do we care so much whether other people accept the facade that we uh, put out there? It all comes down to understanding why we are clinging to our self-concept. If you stop clinging, you will see why the tendency to cling was there. If you let go of your uh, facade and don't try to trade it in for a new one, your thoughts and emotions will become unanchored and begin passing through you. It, it will be a very scary experience. You will feel panic deep inside and you will be unable to get your bearings this is what people feel when something very important outside does not fit their inner model. The facade ceases to work and it begins to crumble. When it can no longer protect you, you experience great fear and panic. However, you'll find that if you're willing to face that sense of panic, there is a way to go past it. You can go further back into the consciousness that is experiencing it and the panic will stop. Then there will be a great peace like nothing you've ever felt. If you want to add to that before I go on. Right on. Let's go for it. Okay. Unless we've got a hand up in the phone queue, then we'd say hello we to somebody. We do not. Okay. We do not. That's the, the part very few people come to know. The noise and fear, the confusion, the constant changing of these inner energies, it can all stop. You thought you had to protect yourself, so you grabbed onto the things that were coming at you and you used them to hide. You took what you could get your hands on and you started to cling in order to build solidity. But you can let go of what you're clinging to and not play the game. You just have to take the risk of letting it all go and daring to face the fear that was driving you. Then you can pass through that part of you and it will all be over. It will stop. No more struggling, just peace. This journey is one of passing through exactly where you have been struggling not to go. 
As you pass through that state of turmoil, the consciousness itself is your only repose. You will just be aware that tremendous changes are taking place. You'll be aware that there is no solidity and you will become comfortable with that. You will be aware that each moment of each day is unfolding and you neither have control nor crave it. You have no concepts, no hopes, no dreams, no beliefs, and no security. You are no longer building mental models of what's going on, but life is going on anyway. You are perfectly comfortable just being aware of it. Here comes this moment, then the next moment, moment after, let's see, but that's really what has always happened. Moment after moment has been passing before your consciousness. The difference is that now you see it happening. You see that your emotions in your mind are reacting to the the moments that are coming through and you're doing nothing to stop it. You're doing nothing to control it. You're just letting life unfold, both outside and inside of you. If you take this journey, you will get to the state in which you you see exactly how the unfolding moments bring up a sense of fear. From this place of clarity, you will be able to experience the powerful tendency to protect yourself. This tendency exists because you truly have no control and that's not comfortable for you. But if you really want to break through, you have to be willing to just watch the fear without protecting yourself from it. You must be willing to see that this need to protect yourself is where the entire personality comes from. It was created by building a mental and emotional structure to get away from that sense of fear. You are now standing face-to-face with the root of the psyche. If you go deep enough, you can watch the psyche being built. You will see that you are in the midst, in the middle of nowhere, in empty, infinite space, and all of these inner objects are flowing towards you, feelings, the impressions of worldly experiences that are, are all pouring into your consciousness. You will clearly see that the tendency is to protect yourself from this flow by bringing it under control. There is an overwhelming strong tendency to lean forward and grab onto selective impressions of people, places, and things as they flow through. You will see that if you focus on these mental images, they will become part of a complex structure where there was none. You will see events that took place when you were 10 years old that you're still holding on to. You will see that you're literally taking all of your memories, pulling them together in an orderly fashion, and saying, that's who you are. But you are not the events. You're the one who experienced the events. How can you define yourself as the things that happened to you? You were aware of your existence before they happened. You are the one who is in there doing all of this, seeing all of this, experiencing all of this, You do not have to cling to your experiences in the name of building yourself. This is a false self you are building inside. It's just a concept of yourself that you hide behind. Go for it, Michael. Yeah, there's a a neat little experience exercise that fits perfectly here from the why work. And that is let's define a word And most people would agree that a good definition of a word is that it's a tool of communication. And that logically following that definition, 
is that when words are being used, it indicates an interchange between two or more people. You know, in this case, you're reading, we're listening. So there's this interchange and words are, are flowing. And if, if that's a reasonable definition for you, words are tools of communication indicating an interaction between two or more people. I just invite each person that's listening to notice that right now there are words running in your head that Jeannie isn't speaking, that I'm not speaking. But notice there are words running in your head. And if words are truly tools of communication interacted, or pardon me, indicative of an interaction between two people, the question becomes who's in there with you? Who's explaining to you the meaning of everything you experience? Except the past. Now, a lot of those explanations can be quite useful and quite accurate. But if we're always, if we're, if we're in the lazy habit of always accepting the explanations the mind has for an event, and we recognize that that explanation comes from the past, then is there really life in the present moment? when we're allowing the past to dictate to us what anything means. And when you begin to use regularly the tool of, of forgiveness, then those structures in the mind that just become habitual for most people, they're generational patterns, and they're just, you know, it's just like the habit that people get stuck in it, allowing the past to dictate and limit who they are in their experience of the present. So one of the tools we suggest that you use in conjunction with this is that in your life you simply allow yourself to become the observer that true being can do a great job of observing what the mind is doing and if you become the observer, you realize that you're not the observed. You're not the explanation the mind has given you. You're not the meaning of the words from the past. But, and, you know, I hear Michael uh, really bringing this whole idea forward, but you are the one who is experiencing. And when you start to deconstruct, that is, forgive, Experiences from the past that perhaps are habitually running your life that you can open the space for your reality to become radically changed, to be shifted dramatically. And so that's one of the objectives of this work is to literally become the thinker apart from the thought the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the action, and observe your mind in operation and realize that who's in there with you doesn't always have your best interests at heart, especially when it's playing in the hostility and fear realm. It's a limited idea of self that by simply buying into the hostility or fear involved, runs your life out of past dynamics. Like, been there, done that? Why are you still doing it? Well, I haven't got any op option. 
Start to become the observer. Watch what your mind is doing and realize that your mind is doing something that does not necessarily support you in truly living fully as the presence of love that you are. And our objective with this work is to not just mentally, but ultimately physiologically return to that presence of love that that literally, and it's it's not something that you can put into words very easily, but my experience of it is that when I'm really in that present moment state, when I'm really in being, it's, again, it's difficult to put into words, but it's almost like, leading with my heart, that that leading into, stepping into the experience, whether the experience is walking up the front door of the house or talking to Ari or Jeannie or anything, but stepping into that with the awareness of self as love, with the physiological presence of love in you. And it... It's just a mega major transformer, especially if you've come from any form of abusive past. And the core tool, again, is how do you collapse the structure in your mind that comes from the past that tells you, you know, who's in there with you, oh, what this person is doing is da-da-da-da-da-da-da some form of hostile or fearful explanation. Can I come to this moment leading with my heart, leading with the presence of love, and really being with this person rather than structuring, allowing my mind to structure something out of the past that is simply the replication of an old experience? So really coming to the point where you have a present moment experience personally experienced and all sorts of things from the past begin collapsing when you allow yourself to have that go for it sweetie okay so how long have you been hiding in there, struggling to keep it all together? Anytime anything goes wrong in the protective model that you built about yourself, you defend and rationalize in order to get it back together. Your mind does not stop struggling until you've processed the event or somehow made it go away. People feel their very existence is at stake, and they will fight and argue until they get control back. This is all because we have attempted to build solidity where there is none. Now we have to fight to keep it together. Problem is, there is no way out that way. There is no peace and there is no winning in that struggle. You were told not to build your house upon sand. Well, this is the ultimate sand. In fact, you built your house in empty space. If you continue to cling to what you built, you will have to continually and perpetually defend yourself. You will have to keep everybody and everything straight in order to reconcile your conceptual model with reality. It's a constant struggle to keep it together. What it means to live spiritually 
is to not participate in this struggle. It means that the events that happened in the moment belong to the moment. They don't belong to you. They have nothing to do with you. You must stop defining yourself in relationship to them and just let them come and go. Don't allow events to leave impressions inside of you. If you find yourself thinking about them later on, let go. If an event happens that doesn't fit your conceptual model and you see yourself struggling and rationalizing to make it fit, just notice what you're doing. An event in the universe didn't match your model and it's causing disturbance inside of you. If you will simply notice this, you will find that it is actually breaking up your model. You'll get to the point where you like this because you don't want to keep your model. You'll define this as good because you are no longer willing to put any energy into building and solidifying your facade. Instead, you will actually permit the things that disturb your model to act as the dynamite to break it up and free you. This is what it means to live spiritually. When you become truly spiritual, you are totally different from anybody else. That which everybody else wants, you don't want. That which everybody else resists, you totally accept. You want your model to break, and you honor the experience when something happens that can cause disturbance within you. Why should anything that anyone says or does Trigger is what we would say. Cause you to get Yeah, started. definitely trigger. That cause word yeah. is such a, it's it just literally just that simple word change transforms the way the, the mind structures your whole perception of the world. And to recognize that nothing outside of us is cause for what goes on inside of us, certainly trigger. And, of course, that is the basis of our definition of the word denial, that whenever I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of this moving in me, then what I have to do is I have to hide the real cause, which is what's going on within me. So I dissociate from part of my own mind. And, you know, if we listen to psychologists today, they tell us that 80, 85, 90, maybe as much as 98% of our thinking is unconscious, which means it's, it's data that we've dissociated from, and it's been going on for generations and generations and generations. And we all came into a world where the habit was dissociation. And to let go of that dissociation means taking ownership. It means you have to quit your religion. That, that is, if you're a member, a card-carrying member of the One World Universal Religion of Blame, which is what virtually everybody is especially in interpersonal relationships. And you come back to the truth of who you are. You take responsibility. And, and that means that everything that you and anyone in your bloodline has dissociated from throughout your eternal life, as far as genetics goes, it means that those energetic patterns that just form the basis for most everyone of just, well, this is the way things are, those energetic um, devices in the mind have to be removed or we're just replicating the past. And there is no present in the past. And to replay the past over and over, you know, you know the essence of my book, why is this happening to me again? 
Oh, yeah, I remember when that happened when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, I remember that happened when I was a teenager. I remember that when I was a young man, a young woman. Oh, I remember that when I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that experience. And it's just replicating the same experience. Oh, it, it puts on a different suit of clothes. It dresses it with some other thoughts, some different emotions. But if your bottom line is, why is life always doing this? Recognize it's not life always doing that. It's you. And you've dissociated from that part of your mind. And so it runs away from you and it goes on and on and on and on. You know, that, that song is a song that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friend. Well, this song ends when you use forgiveness. And all of a sudden, life becomes a fertile place for creation to occur and becoming a conscious co-creator, which is what we're here to support everyone in doing, having perfect total liberty, especially from their own minds, and then creating their lives out of the energetic dynamics that they choose, that they originate, and in so doing, create an original life Rather than, well, you know, I have a spouse and I live with the same realities that my power person had with their spouse. And, you know, we're just playing out the family, the family game. It's like it's time for that to end. The purpose of relationship is to support us coming to true life, which means sometimes it's going to be confronted. Sometimes we're going to have to look at things that we haven't previously wanted to do. And that's where the return to love through forgiveness will always serve, will always be the base tool that will take you back to the truth of who you are. And rather than your mind assuring you with great gusto that its pained reality is the fault of someone else, to be able to step out of that denial and recognize the pain reality in my mind, especially the one that I'm saying, why is this happening to me again, is one that I set up a long, long, long time ago, or I bought into a long time ago. If it's the good old family feeling, it's not good, though it's old, and it's time to apply forgiveness to free ourselves from that. Aria came over to me when you started talking and asked me for the title of the chapter when I said, Letting Go of False Solidity. She said, What does that mean and what is solidity? You want to listen to Papa answer your question? The word was validity, starting with a V? Oh, solidity, okay. Right, okay, got it. So one of the things that happens, Aria, is that if we have, let's say, anger inside of us and something in the world resonates or triggers that anger, gets it moving in us, we can either pretend that the anger that's moving, it's just an energy. We can pretend that it's real and we can, you know, we tend to hold our breath, we'll tend to tighten around it and hold on to it so that makes it seemingly solid, makes it like real and physical when the truth is it's just a pretend energy anyway that we forgot was a pretend energy. And so people take sometimes, you know, we were talking earlier today about imagination. People take things they've imagined into their lives and then they forget that they imagined it. 
And so they make it solid. And solid means it's like something that's real and, and true. And when we apply forgiveness, we can weaken those things. It becomes just kind of, you know how um, when we're out at night and we catch a firefly, and then that firefly just flies away? Well, old painful realities that we've made solid when we breathe and forgive, those old pain, those, that old pain just flies away like that firefly. Like, oh, it's gone. Okay, I'm finished with that one. And when you realize that what we're here for, why are we here, Are you? Do you know? Yeah. What are we here for? Yeah. Why are we here? Say it again. To be loved. To be loved, yeah. So if there's something other than love that we've solidified, that we've made real, we can take a breath, let it go, and go back to love. So that's what that one means. At least that's my take. Do you have any other thoughts on it, Miss Nini? Nope, that pretty much covers it. I'll pop that just How about you, Ari? Any other thoughts for you, sweetheart? Do you have any other questions about it? She said no. Okay. Appreciate you, dear heart. So that's cool that she's, you know, she may not be grasping all of it, but she's putting a, a back ear to it. Even though she's playing, she's still listening. So. Yeah, her... Uh... Her comprehension level, her language use and comprehension is just awesome and growing and inquiring. Her mind is inquiring about everything. You know, it's a great conversation this morning about imagination and just, it's just amazing to watch how her comprehension grows and, and how her expression grows. It's sometimes shocking how she'll take a, you know, what, what I would what consider to be a fairly complex idea and she'll just, like, plop it out like, oh, it's just a fact. It's pretty cool to be doing that at four. And then she tells us a certain bird is very stout. Right. Yeah, yeah like, where did you get that, that language? There's a bird in the yard yesterday. It's kind of a pretty chubby looking. She says, oh, it's stout. <laughs> yes. One of the things we have is we have a vocabulary book that's tied in that has uh, all these really just outrageous, colorful, expressive cartoons uh, attached to us. You know, I'm not even sure. I think it's actually meant to, for adults. But for, oh, two and a half years now, in the morning when we're having breakfast, we'll set that on the table and we'll just flip pages. And, and there's this crazy cartoon that demonstrates a new word. And so we'll we'll explain what that cartoon is and then read the word. It's in big letters across the bottom of the page. And then there's a definition of it, and we'll read that to her. And her use of words is just amazing. It's such fun, just such fun. She is the original awesome girl. So this next, uh, and I'll just read a couple more because we're down to three minutes, but uh, it reminded me of this morning we went out and we were doing chalk art on the uh, driveway. And one of the things that she 
really likes to do is she has me draw a line where the shadow of the house is and write down what time it is. And then just in about four minutes, you know, it's moved like four inches away. And so we mark it again and we put the time. And we've played a game even that, you know, like she stands still and she's the sun and I'm the earth. And so I'm spinning in circles and at the same time going around her. So explaining how the planet rotates and goes around the sun. And that's what makes the shadows move. So this next part here, it says, um, so why should anything that anyone says or does trigger you into disturbance you you're just on a planet spinning around the middle of absolutely nowhere you came here to visit for a handful of years and then you're going to leave how can you leave all stressed out over everything don't do it if anything can cause or trigger disturbance inside of you it means that it hit your model it means it hit the false part of you that you built in order to control your own definition of reality but if that model is reality, why didn't experiential why didn't experiential reality fit? There's nothing you can make up inside your mind that can ever be considered reality. So they're using reality where we would use actuality. Right. You must you must learn to be comfortable with psychological disturbance. If your mind becomes hyperactive, just watch it. If your heart starts to heat up, let it go whatever through whatever it must. Let it go through whatever it must. Try to find the part of you that is capable of noticing that your mind is hyperactive and that your heart is heating up. That part is your way out. There is no way out through building the model of yours. The only way to enter freedom is through the one who watches, the self. The self simply notices that the mind and emotions are unraveling and that nothing is struggling to hold them together. In other words, wake up. It's interesting, the conversation in the culture today about woke, and how there's so many people against wokeism. And, of course, who would be against wokeism but those who are still asleep in old realities and don't have the space within them to comprehend that maybe there's something going on other than what our who's in there with you is telling us is going on. And that when we can embrace that, wow, then things just rock and roll. And we're here to rock and roll with you and appreciate you sharing this space with us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. And blessings. Take care. Bye-bye.